morning. All right. Good morning, Vineyard family. Happy Easter. I believe we have Kids Church open back there today, and we've got the youth doing stuff back there today, so it just feels like we've come full circle. It's great. Um, so we're going to go through a couple of worship songs at the beginning, and then we're going to um, have a message and a few more worship songs after that. So if you guys would please stand. This is definitely a, joy, a day of rejoicing because this is the risen Savior. So happy Easter. And Lord, let's pray. Lord, I just pray that we don't forget what you've done for us. That this doesn't just become another Easter Sunday that has to do with rituals, but that we focus in on the sacrifice that you made. That we focus in on the pain and the sorrow that you endured and how much you loved us and how much you conquered death. So I pray, Lord, that as we enter our, Easter, our, enter our Easter Sunday worship, that you are with us and just here in our presence. Help us to feel you, Father God. You were the word at the beginning, one with God the Lord most high. You're hidden glory in creation, now revealed in you are Christ. What a beautiful name it is, what a beautiful name it is.
and we praise you. You are everything to us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the vineyard. Happy Easter. So here's what I want to do. Um, if I could please get everyone to stand. Go ahead and stand up. Stand up. 
I want you to go and greet one another, and I want you to greet one another with this. I want you to profess that he is risen. Amen? Amen. All right, go find someone. Let them know that he's risen. All right, good morning. I'll have you guys find your way back to your seats. Happy Easter to all of you. Good morning, good morning, good morning. My friends up in the balcony, good morning. Good to see you all. I see you. Look, I can even, I can do that. (laughs) Good morning. Good to see all of you. I'm going to open up in in a word of prayer, and we're going to go ahead and get started into our, our text today. Oh, Jesus, we love you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Lord, you are worthy of all honor and all glory, Jesus. Lord, all worship is yours, Lord. Jesus, thank you for all you did for us. Lord, thank you that we are a people of the risen King. That death could not hold you. And as your kids, as your sons and daughters, death has no hold over us either that we are a people who get to have hope. Lord, that there is more than just this. That there's so much more than just this. That we are a resurrection people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us, God. Amen. Amen. 
And good morning to you all. So I wanted to actually, we're going through the book of John, but I'm going to, I'm going to jump over into one of the other gospels just to kind of for my opening this morning. We're going to, we're going to go into Luke. So Luke 18, 31 through 34 says this. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the son of man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him insult him and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. See, even his followers These guys who were with Jesus day in and day out saw him walk on the water. They saw him multiply the food. They saw Jesus heal the sick and raise the dead. Even these guys who saw all of that and experienced all of that, they still were like, Jesus, what are you talking about? What do you mean that this is going to happen? So if even these followers who saw all these things had questions and didn't really understand and doubted that Jesus was going to do all the things he said to do. When we doubt, when we struggle, when we're like, Jesus, do you really mean it? God, are you serious? Like, can you actually do the thing that you said you're going to do? We're in good company right? (laughs) If all of his disciples who were with him every day had questions and and struggled and had doubts about what Jesus was saying, it's, it's okay if we do too. I guess we have permission to be human. Isn't that a good thing? It is for me. It's a good thing for me. But here's the thing. God always follows through. However, it may not always look the way we assume it should, right? And we're going to see that in the story that we're reading today. So we're going to be in the text of John 20, 1 through 18. There's an empty tomb. Thank God that the tomb is empty. So as we start off every week, as we've been going through the Gospel of John, we're going to start off with professing who Jesus is. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way for us to follow. It's not just enough for us to worship God, but we are called to emulate the lifestyle of Jesus, to be a people of the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is literally all truth. He's the primary revelation of God's character to the world. And Jesus is the life. Through Jesus, he gives us life both now and forevermore. We're a now and not yet people. John 20, 1 through 2 says this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. I love how John always throws that in there. It seems like every time we read each week, he's always like, hey, remember the one Jesus loved? Like, every week I say that, because every week John says it. (laughs) And it hits me every time. But at least, like, he had it, he knew his identity, right? It's like, yeah, Jesus loves me. Deal with it, you know? 
of. So they had taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we didn't know where they'd put him. I, I love this. There was this moment of like, where's Jesus? Like, he was there. The thing happened, the crucifixion, the tomb. There's a big stone in front of it. And then they arrive and Jesus is gone. And the other gospels mention that there was a number of women. It wasn't just Mary. There were a number of women who were present at the empty tomb. And when Mary says that we don't know where they've put him, she's probably alluding to that there was a group of them. Because it was the Sabbath that day. And so they had limited time. When Jesus was killed, it was on the Sabbath. So they had limited time to care for his body, which is why when we read previously, it was Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus that ended up taking care of him. And they had to do it quickly. And so the women probably didn't get a chance to properly grieve for Jesus. And in Jewish tradition, grief was something that was embraced. They would spend weeks, sometimes months, grieving over someone that they lost. But they didn't have time to do that because of Passover. So let's continue on in the text. Verses 3 through 5 say this. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. The disciple Jesus loved. The other disciple outran Jesus. Is anyone else getting a little bit of a sense of the type of person John was? He's like, you know, I know that Jesus and the whole empty tomb thing is really important, but you need to know that Peter's really fat and slow. Because I outran him. I, John, outran him. And Jesus loves me. So you, these are things we need to know about John. It's like, it, it's just, it's really funny to me that like, here's the gospel that I'm writing to express for future generations for people to know about Jesus. And you also need to know that John has like lightning feet, like he's fast, okay? Because this is like really important to your faith. It's just, you know, he needs us to know. So 6 through 8 continues on. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, fat and slow, probably kind of like me, and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they There it is, sorry. Is it good? I'm loud, so sometimes it's hard to know whether the mic's actually on or if I'm good. Okay. It's that whole, the curse of being loud. Um, so continuing on. 6 through 9 says this. When they went in, the grave clothes were there by themselves. And everything was in its place. This is like a really, really big deal. 
because it looks like the body of Jesus simply like removed itself from the linens because it says that the linens were undisturbed. If it had been grave robbers or something in there, like, because people did rob graves both then as they do currently. If you know anything about like the 1920s and stuff and the British explorers, they often went into tombs and graves and stole everything and brought it back to the British National Museum. And then later, like once they kind of figured out that that probably wasn't good form to steal other cultures' ancient artifacts, they had to start giving them back again. So this whole like tomb robbing, grave robbing thing is not a new thing. It's something that's been going on for literally thousands of years. If this had actually been a grave robbery, they wouldn't have been gentle with Jesus' body. They would have torn all the clothes apart, looking for anything valuable that they could take with them. But when, when John and Peter went into the tomb, the linens were not disturbed. So Christ's body simply left from where it was laying. It was one of his last miracles. Even death could not hold him. He had to rise. See, first they came to know of the resurrection through what they saw in the tomb, right? They saw, oh, Jesus is gone. Like, where's his body? This is really strange. But only later did they see it in the scriptures when they went back into the Old Testament and there was all of the prophecies about what would happen with the Son of Man. And it's obvious that they like, didn't make up this story of resurrection to fit some preconceived understanding of scriptural prophecy because uh, John says that they didn't really realize what had happened until later. In the moment, they were just in a panic of like, what happened to Jesus' body? But Jesus had to rise to fulfill God's word. Do you remember at the very beginning when I was talking about how Jesus always does what he says he's going to do? It just may not look quite like we think. This is a prime example of that. Continuing on in 11 through 15. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Have you, like, as I've read scripture, and there's like a couple different places where angels ask human questions, and I'm almost wondering if angels really don't get us, because they ask stupid questions a lot of times. Like, why are you afraid? Why are you crying? Why, you know, like, I'm thinking like maybe angels don't have emotions. And so they don't get us humans that we like freak out about stuff. I don't know. It's just kind of an observation that I, that I've made. But they ask her, woman, why are you crying? She responded to them. They've taken the, my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Everybody's asking Mary this question. I feel bad for Mary. Like, why wouldn't you be crying? Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? This really struck me. She didn't realize that it was Jesus. How many times is this 
us, right? How many times do we miss Jesus when he's standing right in front of us? How many times does this happen? For me, it's happened to me over and over and over again in my life. And then I look back in a place and I look back in a situation and I'm like, oh, there was Jesus. Um, Has anybody here ever seen the movie, I think it was Hook, with like Robin Williams and it's a whole kind of like a Peter Pan story. And um, there's this part where Robin Williams, who's playing Peter Pan, goes up to one of his old friends who's gotten a little bit older and gained a little bit of weight. And he goes up to his face and, and he pushes all of his fat back on his face. And he's like, oh, there you are, Peter. Like, I didn't recognize you because you had changed. Sometimes Jesus looks differently than we're expecting him to. And we don't see him. And so one of the only real ways to truly get to know Jesus, no matter how he's presenting himself to us, is to read about him in the scripture, to speak with him, to spend time with him, hang out with his people, just sit in Jesus' presence and and listen for his voice and, and just soak up his spirit. And then even with your eyes closed, you can recognize the presence of Jesus. And you can know Jesus because you can just sense him. And, you know, there's been times in my life where I'm just really struggling, where I'm just really having a hard time, where, where I feel like, you know, Jesus, I'm, I'm out. I'm done. I can't handle any more of the crazy that this world has to offer. And I just put myself in front of him and, and just say, Jesus, help. Like, that's my big flowery prayer. (laughs) That's my big, like, here's all the beautiful words I have. Jesus, help. I remember one time I was um, driving over the pass um, to go pick up Christy's mom uh, in Seattle. um, And it was wintertime. And I was driving our Subaru at the time. And I came down, you know, kind of you, um, you go up the hill um, on Snoqualmie Pass, and you go down, and then you kind of come around that turn, and there's another slope down. Well, I was probably moving a little quicker than I should have, because it was Christmas time, and I wanted to go pick Joan up, and wanted to bring her back, and, and I hit some black ice. And our car started spinning. And I was going down the freeway at about 55 miles an hour in circles. And I probably did about six circles. And there was a semi-truck here, and he must have seen me in his rearview mirror. So he started hitting his brakes, and he started to jackknife. And I spun by him and then got my car realigned and straight. But I have to tell you, in that moment, as I was spinning, I was alternately praying And I was praying in tongues, and I was cussing. Because that's, that was my raw emotion. Like, I'm I'm cursing because I'm scared, and I'm praying because I believe in Jesus, and I just needed help, and I was like, you know, 
Oh, expletive, expletive. Oh, Lord Jesus, please don't let me die. There's people who need me. I got to take care of my wife and my son and my friends and my church and my family. Like, don't let me die, you know. And oh, curse, 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 you know. And oh, Lord Jesus. And then I start praying in tongues because I don't have any prayers. Like, I just, you know, that was like, that was real, (laughs) right? And sometimes, like, our understanding of Jesus is just like from the gut, right? It's just visceral. And we might not necessarily recognize him with our brain or with our theology or with all the things that we know. But our spirit, if we recognize him and we've walked with him long enough and we've spent time with him in his presence, our spirit will reflexively reach out to God because we know where our hope is. And Mary gets there. So Jesus says to her, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Oftentimes when we're hurting or we're in pain, we, we do wonder where God is, right? Like, Lord, this situation is horrible. Where are you? Like, why aren't you fixing this? I thought you loved me. Like, John, I thought you loved me. Why have you abandoned me? Why do you not care? Even Jesus echoed that on the cross, Right? Oh God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The truth is he's right there. And he's loving us and he's giving us strength and courage to get through our struggles. That doesn't necessarily mean he removes them though. Right? It doesn't just mean that he takes everything away and puts us on a unicorn and lets us ride a rainbow up to heaven. Right? And then that's it. Right? He doesn't just take it away. There's a reason for this. Redeemed pain can often be more valuable than removed pain. We always want God to remove our pain. But I think we can look around in the world and know that that doesn't always happen, right? And yet we still know God loves us. We still know Jesus is for us. We still know that our Father in heaven cares for us. It doesn't necessarily mean he's going to take it away. I remember praying so hard when I was in the hospital after one of my surgeries, and I was in so much pain. Like, I, uh, they did a back surgery on me, and like, to do it, they had to move all my organs aside. And so when they moved my organs aside, it made them stop working because they shut down. So uh, for some reason, I could probably ask one of my friends and they could tell me, but your organs shut down. Because they don't like being moved. That's right. That's what the surgeon said. Your organs don't like being moved. And so they shut down. And I remember like for days, just like um, when they, you know, viscera means your guts. That's why when you say visceral, it's like from your gut. So I had this like visceral pain like in my gut for days. And I remember laying there a lot of times at 3 a.m., just praying, like, God, can you, like, either fix this or let me die? Because, like, right now, that's all I want. <laughs> like, those are my only two things that I think might help the situation, is either you make it better or I die and then I don't hurt anymore. And, like, just praying, like, praying that. And God didn't do it. But as I prayed, I sensed his Holy Spirit. I sensed his presence. And the next day, he sent me a priest who happened to work at the hospital that I was at. And this priest came and prayed for me, and he laid hands on my gut and prayed for me. 
and like it started feeling better. And then one of my pastor friends showed up and he prayed for me with the priest. And so then I had two people praying for me and it started to get better. And eventually things kind of sorted themselves out. And now I have a story to tell you on Sunday morning about redeemed pain. Sometimes we learn from some of the most difficult, hard, painful situations in our lives so that we can be a healer, so that we can help heal other people. So we can grab other people and say, you know what, I know this hurts, I know you're in pain, I know this is all really bad right now, but God loves you, Jesus is for you, and there's hope. Because I was there. And I walked through it. Jesus was with me. He didn't leave me. He didn't forsake me. He was right there with me. C.S. Lewis says this in his famous book, The Problem with Pain. We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When we hurt, we react. When we don't hurt, we just like to sit there and be comfortable. Right? But when we hurt, we react. stopping for a moment because I feel like the Holy Spirit saying something. Um, there are some of you who see you see things and they cause you pain. They're painful to you. Um, and that's because God is calling you to respond to them. It's because God's calling you to respond to them. He doesn't want you to ignore whatever that is. He's highlighting it to you. It's, it's causing you pain because it needs to be attended to. God wants you to attend to something. And I'm not here to tell you what that should look like or what that should be, but, but if there's... If there's something that even in this moment that is causing you pain or discomfort or it's um, an injustice or um, something that you feel needs God's attention, I feel like he's calling you to pray into that, to, to push into that, and to um, seek his heart and his will as to how you're supposed to respond to it. And I hope for whoever that's for, it makes sense. But the Holy Spirit's kind of stopped me up short in that moment as I was talking and stopped me. So um, we will have time to pray at the end. So if that is you, um, I'm going to encourage you to have somebody pray um, about that with someone. So I'm going to continue on. But we want we always want to have room for God to like say, hey, <laughs> hold on a minute. <laughs> I've got something. Um John 20, 15 through 16 says this. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, 
She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. Can you imagine her in that moment? When Jesus says your name. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Mary. Maybe you just can't imagine for yourself the one who made everything thinks of you that personally. That he keeps your name in his heart and on his lips. However, Scripture tells us that God even knows the number of hairs that are on our head. Yes, even you, Ryan and Dave. (laughs) God knows the number of hairs that are on your head. He just doesn't have to count as many for some people. It's really your name. I love you guys. You're some of my best friends, so I can tease you. (laughs) Sometimes I feel a little left out because I have hair and I... I'm not part of the gang. Thanks, Bob. God knows our name. God speaks our name. Your name is in his heart. Your name is on his lips. It's your name that you hear Jesus speaking. And the voice that calls your name, is more loving than you can ever even dream or imagine. He speaks your name. He knows your name. He knows you down to your core. Even those messed up, broken parts of ourselves, Jesus loves those too. Thank you, Lord. John 20, 17 through 18, continuing on. Jesus says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and sisters and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. She told them that he had said these things to her. Go instead to my brothers and And tell them. Jesus here, and later when he gives the Great Commission, commands us to tell others about him. This can be accomplished in as many ways as there are people. However, one of the character traits of those who follow Jesus is that they're his hands. And feet. And sometimes voice. To a world that so desperately needs the touch of Jesus. To truly be a follower of Jesus means to do those things that he has asked us to do. To follow and walk and seek God and press into what God has for us. It's going to look different for each of us. But we serve a living God and therefore all things are possible. There's this great lyric by a a group called Mumford and Sons. It's from the song I gave you all. And this lyric says this, if only I had an enemy bigger than my apathy, maybe I could have won. If only I had an enemy bigger than my apathy, 
maybe I could have won. How many times do we lose a battle with the enemy or with the world or with brokenness inside of ourselves? Because we just don't care enough. Because like it's not important enough for us to fight. It's not important enough for us to strive for. Sometimes we lose just by not caring. Or by having something else that's just more important. Um, I think it was Francis Chan who said uh, one time that um, sometimes failure is being successful at the wrong things. Sometimes failure is being successful at the wrong things. Like pursuing those things that really aren't that important. So even if it was just me here this morning, Christ is risen, right? Even if there's so many people that people are hanging out of the windows, Christ is risen. We work for an audience of one. We serve for an audience of one, and all of us should live for an audience of one. That should not, it just, it does not matter. What matters is our heart, and do we have a heart to serve our Jesus? Do we have a heart and a passion to pursue God, to pursue Jesus? As I mentioned in the previous slide, like, let's kill apathy. Church, let's kill apathy. Let's, let's get rid of just, well, whatever. Let's, we've got to make that die, because that's not following Jesus. That's not what God called us to. He called for us to fight to bring the kingdom here now, today, and to do all that it is that we can to make sure that others know just how much Jesus loves them and cares for them and wants to give himself to them. Maybe you've been wrestling with your faith. Maybe you've been wrestling with the idea of Jesus himself. This happens to be Resurrection Sunday. It's a good day to have your faith come back from the dead. This is a day when we recognize that sometimes things that are dead don't stay that way. Because the power of the kingdom of God can bring them back to life. It's a good day to re-engage with your Savior and recognize all that he's done for you. To respond and join with him in redeeming a world that we broke apart. See, we serve a living Jesus. We serve a God who did not stay in the tomb. We serve a God who death could not hold, and therefore all things are possible. All things are possible. In Jesus, there is nothing that is too hard. Easter reminds us that death's not the end, that hope doesn't need to leave us, that we don't have to be hopeless, that even when the things look the darkest, a gardener can show up and reveal himself as the Lamb of God. Easter is God's definitive proclamation that we belong here and that nothing not even death can separate us from that gardener who calls us by name. 
Jesus speaks directly to you and places hope in your heart. I, I want to pray that. I want to pray that this morning. If you'd bow your heads. Lord Jesus, if there's anyone here this morning in the sound of my voice, whether they be here in person or online, Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, would you rekindle that fire? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us again. Renew that fire in our heart, God. Restore, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for all things that have been stolen from you to be restored in the name of Jesus. For redemption to come to you this morning. That the pain, the heartache, the struggle, the darkness, all of the things you fought through, that God would redeem that and restore to you that which has been stolen. In the name of Jesus. Lord, bring the dead back to life. Lord, where our faith is dead, where there's areas in our life where our faith is dead, Lord, would you restore hope to us. Hope that you are coming, that you are here, that you are right now in our midst and in our presence, encouraging us, strengthening us, giving us new purpose, Lord God. Jesus, we thank you that you are not the God of dead things, but you are the God of resurrection and that you are the life and you are life both now and forevermore. And we give you praise and we give you honor and we give you glory, Jesus. You are the only one worthy of that, God. Thank you, Jesus, that death cannot hold you and it's not the end for us either. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If I could have our worship team come back up, we're going to have a couple more worship songs and then um, we're going to have a time of prayer. If you want to stand for the um, second set of worship here, you certainly may.
gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord.
you turn it for good you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good you turn it for good thank you Jesus
thank you, God, that you are in the lead and that we can win these battles.